0: We're going to Hebrews chapter number eight. Hebrews chapter eight. And uh I'm gonna read to you just a couple of verses here. We'll begin at verse number one. Hebrews chapter eight and one. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set. On the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens is a minister of the sanctuary and of the tabernacle. Notice this, which the Lord pitched, not man. It's the tabernacle that the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he that thou make all things according to the pattern that you were shown in the Mount. This is the New Testament description of a meeting between God and Moses when the Lord told Moses that you're going to make a tabernacle for my people and it's going to be a place for my glory to dwell but i want you to know that the tabernacle was ordered by god and the pattern was set in heaven i believe that moses sat and looked into the heavens and that god showed him the pattern everything that that tabernacle in the wilderness was to be god showed him that in the heavens and that was what we call the tabernacle of moses it was the tabernacle in the wilderness. But tonight I want to preach to you about the tabernacle of heaven. The tabernacle of heaven. Great God, we honor you tonight. We thank you for your goodness, and your mercy, your power, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your precious people that have gathered in this house to hear your sweet word tonight. And I pray, Lord, that it would be to us as honey from a comb. God, that it would be sweet to our soul tonight I pray God that there would be more in this house than just those who desire to hear but that there would be a hunger to do that which we have heard let us follow after the leading of your spirit let your name be glorified and let your church be edified in the name of Jesus Christ we pray and let the church say amen amen Amen. it's really quiet in here right now so I want you to just let me know you're alive would you do that Come on, let me know you're alive tonight. Well, you can be seated in Jesus' name if you promise you'll stay awake. Praise the Lord. If you see somebody close to you dozing off, just reach over and poke them in the ear and tell them you've got to wake up. Amen. Amen. I try not to preach on the tabernacle really often, but I could preach on it all the time. I love to preach the tabernacle because the tabernacle has given me life. I love to pray the tabernacle. That's why I say that it is—it's a, a life-giving source to me as I step to that gate and begin to pray because the Lord said in his word to enter his gates with thanksgiving into his courts with praise. I'm I'm not convinced that everybody has to pray like I pray, but I am convinced that if you want to pray, there is a pattern that you can pray that just makes sense. And if you spend time in the word of God and you pray the word of God and you pray the tabernacle, you won't be asking how in the world do people pray for an hour or more. Because you can spend time in there praying. As a matter of fact, there's not one of us in this room tonight that couldn't spend at least an hour at the gate if we were honest. Because it's at the gate of thanksgiving where we give him thanks for what he's done. I wonder if we could spend about ten seconds at the gate right now. Could we do it? Hallelujah. God, you've been good. You've been so good. So I enter into his gates with thanksgiving. I step into his courts with praise. As we quote that psalm, it's so easy to quote, but it's it's quite paradoxical, in fact, that you would enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, understanding that the first thing that meets you as you step through the gate is death, it's darkness, it's smell, it's stench, it's a carcass laying on top of this brazen altar. I don't know if you've ever smelled the hair singe on your arm when you get too close to a fire, but could you imagine gutting this large animal, draining the blood out, filleting it open and laying it belly down on this large altar, the hair, the hide, Every part of the entrails begin to burn. That is what greets you as you stepped into that tabernacle. We today as we pray that tabernacle. We realize that it represents the cross. It's the place of crucifixion. It's the place of repentance. It's the place where we die. And to be quite honest with you. If you don't learn the value of stopping at that altar. Nothing else in the tabernacle matters. Because you can't, you can't get anywhere else and establish any other rhythm in that tabernacle prayer without stopping at that altar and being sure that your heart is right with God. Now I know a lot of you could spend more than an hour there. Come on, tell your neighbor, Pastor's right tonight. We could spend some time at that altar getting things right with God. It's a beautiful place to visit when you realize the power of what it's doing Jesus spoke this language when he said that if any man come after me let him deny himself he's talking about the altar he said take up your cross now I do realize he came to give us eternal life but the pathway to eternal life is not being afraid to die you got to be willing to die to your flesh if you're going to have the kind of life that He wants for you. Amen. And so the tabernacle, it's such a beautiful thing, and we're we're going to talk a little bit about it tonight, the way that God established it, but I want you to understand just the basic, the very basic layout of this tabernacle is that it is divided into three compartments. As you walk in that that first court there, and you've got the brazen altar, and then you've got the lever. And then there were five posts that you would walk uh, in between through the first veil. And as you walked into that first veil, into that room, it's uh, puzzled a lot of people why there would be five pillars because it doesn't even make sense. It honestly, even as... uh, the concept and logic of building, it didn't make any sense for there to be an even width in the number of cubits in that place, but for some reason, the Lord chose for there to be five pillars. And there's a lot of people who have uh, ideas and concepts about it. It's not 100% ever clear in the scripture. Some believe that it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the book of Acts, it's the beginning of Of the church and the life of Jesus. Because understand that tabernacle is truly understanding Jesus. But if you look at it from another concept. I always feel like when I'm praying and I pass through those five pillars. I look at the five pillars of foundational faith. Of what we believe in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. When it said, his name shall be called. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. It doesn't matter which way you move, the central pillar would always be the fact that He is the mighty God. It doesn't matter which side that you move to, He's the mighty God. And so as you pass through that veil and those five pillars, you enter into the holy place. The holy place is a beautiful place. Uh, It's a smelly good room. You leave the, lo- the, the, the death out there on the altar and you wash your hands in the laver and you walk in. And uh, it smells so good because the incense is burning there. And that came from the fire that was on the altar. So there again it comes back to the fact you don't even have incense if you don't have an altar in your life. and it, Just so many powerful things that we could talk about. But the issue is that when you walk into that first veil, it's not the veil that goes to the Holy of Holies, but it's that first veil into the holy place. The priest was to pull that back closed behind them. All the incense stayed in there. But when you closed that beautiful curtain and tapestry behind you, there was no light in there. Except for the light to your left. It was the seven golden candlesticks. Which represents so many powerful things. The sevenfold working of the Spirit of God. It represents... The illumination of the word of God his word is a lamp unto our feet it is a light unto our path and you realize in that moment how amazing and powerful this is when you uh walk in there and that this candelabra of seven candlesticks it represents the working of the spirit of God and without the spirit of God and the word of God there is no illumination in our life we would be Incomplete darkness and you've got this incense and then on the right hand side to your right You would have there the table of shoe bread where the lord provided bread for the priest And then there's the third compartment the third division that is the holiest of holies where The ark of the covenant dwelt and the mercy seat and this was powerful but tonight for just a brief moment I want you to If you have to, to close your eyes and imagine with me these three compartments. And I want you to reflect on this thought and this question. That if you had to spend one day, if you had one day that you could spend. In the sanctuary of God, in that tabernacle. Where would you spend it? Would you choose to be in the holiest of holy place? Where the Shekinah glory dwells. Where His mercy seat is or would you rather be in the outer court as shielded from his presence as you could be if you had the opportunity to be close would you rather be close or is there something in you that would cause you to want to stay at a distance many people have agreed with the words of Elihu who told Job he said I won't ask to speak with God why should I give him a chance to destroy me? Some people are afraid to get close to the presence of God. And the reason why they're afraid to get close to the presence of God is because there's still something alive in them that hasn't died at that altar yet. And we keep coming back to that altar, but you got to understand, if you don't have the altar, then you might as well not even have a tabernacle. When the Lord laid that plan out from heaven, the altar was the largest piece of furniture in the tabernacle. Every single piece of furniture in the tabernacle could fit within the altar of the tabernacle. And you have to have the altar in the tabernacle. If your answer would be that I want to be as far away as I can be. I can tell you this, that one trip to that altar would move you into another dimension where you would want to be close to his presence. Because once you've been set free, and once your flesh has been crucified, and once you've been washed in that labor, it feels so good that you want to be in the presence of the Lord. And I can tell you tonight, there is no place that I would rather be than to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, I know it doesn't do a lot of good to preach faithfulness to people that are faithful and that are in the house of God. But somebody's going to watch this online. And so I want to tell you, believe it or not, you can tell when people are not frequenting an altar in their life because they don't want to be in the presence of God. Well, I've just been busy. No, you haven't. You've been carnal. Well I just haven't had the time to be there That's not true You've had time to do everything else Come on help me somebody We got a couple of folks in here tonight That's been sick and had surgery And all, all I've heard Is I can't wait to get back Into the presence of the Lord I can't wait to get back in the house of God I know what it feels like To be stuck at home Anybody remember at all Having to Quarantine God have mercy, had to quarantine. I remember coming to this church on my little 10-day fiasco, and I'd walk out, and I'd park my car, and I'd get out, and I'd walk up and put my hands on the side of the church. I'd stand outside on the pillars at the drive-thru, and I'd just hold on to the church and pray and weep and cry. And I said, Lord, I want to go in the church so bad. But sure as I do, somebody's going to walk behind me. When they walk in and breathe in, they're going to fall over dead. <laughs> I remember sitting at home. We sat at home. And we've got a pitiful excuse for a screen upstairs. I guess when I was a kid, it probably would have been a big one, But now it's a little one. It's a little old bitty screen. I think it's 32 inches. And I hooked up my streaming deal into it where we could stream church on YouTube. And I sat there squinting, (laughs) looking, trying to see church. And I'm going to tell you what I realized right then. I'll never be happy doing this. I'm never going to be happy doing this. And some people said, well, maybe this is the new normal. I said, I rebuke it in Jesus' name. It'll never be the new normal. It has become a normal in a lot of churches that are being built right now. They're doing satellite works where they have one central church. And then when the preacher preaches, he preaches on the screen in the churches. And everybody sits and watches the screen. And I realize when you're watching church through a screen, it's really hard to lay hands on the sick and then recover. I had, a guy, I had a guy tell me one day, he said, man, we really love our church. He said, it's really cool. We just go in, we sit down, and he said, we sing a couple songs, and then the preacher comes on the screen. He said, he don't even preach in our building. He said, we all just sit there and watch. He said, we were trying another church, but we went to that one, and we really liked it. And I don't mean this to sound mean or whatever, but you know what I'm finding out? That the more comforts and relaxing benefits that the modern church offers to people, the more we like it. We love the accommodations of a church and people have got to the place where they pick a church like they do a resort. They want to know what kind of playground they've got. They want to know what kind of kids ministry they got. They want to know what kind of cafe they've got. Until they get sick. Then they want to call somebody that can pray. And I'm telling you that it is my opinion. And if people think I'm being critical when I say it. Then I'm willing to die on that hill. That the modern church has removed the altar from our churches. People don't want to talk about death. In a recent conference that was hosted by an apostolic church, quote, unquote, the people attending the conference, it was geared towards church growth and team building. They were told, we have to be really careful about the songs we sing about the blood. They were told that people don't really need to hear things about blood because they don't understand when a guest walks in off the street, they don't know what you're talking about when you're singing about the blood. And my point is, if they're walking in off the street, they better know about the blood. Because it's the only thing that's going to save. It's the only thing that's going to deliver. It's the only thing that's going to heal. It's the only thing that's going to set free. Come on. I still believe it. There's, there, there's, there's famous commentators and preachers. They're very well known. Some of them have their own, their own even Bible commentary versions. And one of the strongest voices in that, that idea, that reform movement said that the blood of Jesus, when it soaked up into the ground, it ceased to become bloody more, it died just like everybody else's. It was done. It was over. That once that blood went into the ground, is like just like my blood would have went into the ground and died. I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus ascended into heaven and he put his blood on the mercy seat, I want to tell you tonight, right now, at this very time, there is no black blood that is dried and ceases to be powerful at all on that mercy seat. I'm telling you, his blood is as powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago when he gave his life. His blood, you don't have to believe it, but I'm telling you, his blood is powerful. And if you don't want to take the time to believe it, let me just testify to you that it's because of his blood that I'm standing here tonight. His blood cleansed me. His blood washed me. Oh, God have mercy. That's why the scripture said his blood now cleanseth us. His blood did not die. It didn't cease to be blood. It's as powerful as it's ever been. That same man in his commentary said, there are no buildings in heaven. He said, it's all just symbolic. There's no real buildings there. Well, I'm going to preach to you about the tabernacle of heaven tonight because there's one in heaven. And John saw it there. Now, you don't have to believe in my father's house or many mansions. You don't have to believe that that means houses. There's a new, there's a new uh, little sermonette out there floating around right now where people say it just means there's a lot of rooms. My father's house, there's a lot of rooms. It's a bunch of places. Well, I guess we'll find out when we get there. But I really like believing that I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that fair land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder, we will never more wonder. But we're going to walk on streets that are pure as gold. I'm here to tell you tonight that heaven is as real as it's ever been. But people, I'm going I'm to make a really broad statement here, but I'm going to stand behind it. People that don't like talking about heaven anymore, it's because they don't visit the altar enough. I'm not, I'm not here to say that I tell the Lord every day, get me out of here, get me out of here, get me out of here. And I don't have time to get on this. You know, it's kind of my, my candy stick sometimes that heaven has just become an exit strategy for some people. When we get in trouble, we start saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, I want the Lord to come. But if there was any way for there to be... The happiness of making it to heaven and the disappointment of what I didn't get done. If he came right this minute, I'd be disappointed in this life. Because there's so many more people that I want to see come to the Lord. There's backsliders that I want to see come home. And that part would disappoint me deeply. You understand what I'm saying? Whenever he comes, I'm ready. But I want to be sure that when he comes... I've done everything he wanted me to do and I I want to be sure that as a church we've done everything that we could do and I want to be sure that everybody that we needed to pray for got prayed for and that I didn't leave something undone. You understand what I'm saying? But it's not our exit strategy when we get in trouble. That, That was not the intention of heaven. Heaven is the reward at the end for what we do. And we start people's journey by telling them If you do this, you can go to heaven. And I think we're kind of missing a really broad spectrum of things because the purpose of me just just getting saved is not so I can just go to heaven. The purpose of me being saved is that I may be a witness to him. You shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost, Acts 1 and 8, comes upon you. And we rejoice about that. You shall be witnesses unto me. But the Greek word witness is martus. It's where we get the word martyr. Jesus said you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And you shall, be, you shall have the power to be martyrs in the earth. Beginning at Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria. The uttermost parts of the earth. And so while everybody's focused on life more abundantly. Nobody ever wants to talk about. And it just got tough in here just a second ago. You think that's why Paul said, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. If I'm ever going to have what's behind that veil, I'm going to have to spend some time at that altar. And I'm going to have to let him work some things out in me. And you don't have to ask people. There's a lot of folks that want to tell you how spiritual they are. But you don't have to ask people when they've been to the altar. When somebody's been to the altar, their life speaks for itself. Oh God, help me. Have you ever noticed that some people, the only thing they use the altar for is what they come to lay down at it. And I'm not saying we should ever change that because it, it's a place where we get deliverance. But, Bishop, I've been looking, looking, looking. I can't find one place in the scripture where there was an altar that somebody went to get something. Every time I find an altar, it's where they come to leave something. Can I, God, can I help somebody tonight? You know what I believe? I believe that the altar, the altar is something that ought to be in the forefront of our mind like it was Noah. That after the flood, when the doors opened, he didn't take much time at all. He stepped off that ark and he said, I'm going to build an altar to the Lord. I'm going to build a place where the Lord can be praised. Church family, I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you that the altar will not be a place where he'll strengthen you and encourage you and lift you up. But understand me, if, if we're praying this from a tabernacle understanding, if I'm willing to lay my life down at the altar, there will always be blessings on the other side of that. The altar's not where I come to beg. God, please give me that job. Please give me that. Ha- no, no, no. When I get at the altar, what it does is it brings me into alignment with the thoughts of God so that when I ask, I'm asking on what God has already judged on. He said, when you ask, don't don't ask amiss. Don't pray vain repetitions like the hypocrites do. He said, but ask in alignment. When you pray, pray after this manner Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, whatever you've decided for me, that's what I want. I want to be in alignment with your plan. And the only way for me to ever get there for communication with God is when I turn down all the noise at the altar and his voice becomes the loudest thing in my life. I don't want to live my life as far away from that third room as I have to. It would seem to me that the whole point of setting up the tabernacle in the first place. According to Exodus 25 and 8. The Lord said I want you to make me a tabernacle so that I can dwell among my people. All right. It would seem to me that the whole point of setting up the tabernacle in the first place. Was because God wanted to come closer. So what we've got, if you can fathom this with me, on this side of the tabernacle, on the holy side of the tabernacle, God comes down to be with us. But the enemy does everything he can to keep us away from that holy place. He does everything he can to keep us out of the presence of God because that's where everything changes. It's in the presence of God. And so he keeps us at that gate of fear and dread. Of what's going to have to die in me if I'm going to let God be God in my life. Oh my my. What do I have to give up to do the will of God? That should never be the question. What do I have to give up to please God? That should never be the question. It should always be the blessing and the understanding that this is not about what I have to lose, but it's everything to do with what I have to gain. We can just wrap our minds around this fact that Jesus was God in human form. In Jesus, we can see beyond a shadow of a doubt that when tabernacles and priesthood and bulls and rams and, and, and turtle doves all failed, that Jesus was God. Coming very close to us. He became like us. As a matter of fact. He became so close to us. That many perceived. That he. Sat with the outcast. And with the collectors. And with the prostitutes. And with the fishermen. And with the lepers. The only person that could do that. And stay right. Is somebody that's ready to be crucified. Because his pursuit was never, and hear me closely His pursuit was never to be like the outcast It was never to be like the drunk It was never to be like the politician It was never to be like the publican It was to teach them to be like him Woo. In John 15 and 15 Jesus came so close he said I don't want to call you servants anymore He said, I want to call you my friend. He said, I have called you my friends. What does it mean that the God of heaven and earth would robe himself in flesh and come close enough to say, I'm here to be your friend. Yet the enemy does everything that he can to keep us from getting close to the presence of God why would he do that because he knows what happens when we become friends with God when you become friends with God there is nothing that the devil can do to change your mind when you become friends with God there's nothing the devil can do to convince you that God doesn't love you anymore he can play that game with you in the outer court because he can tell you you're too worthless for God He can tell you that you don't deserve God. But once you've tasted of his goodness and you become a friend of God, you know that God will go to any extent he has to to pull you close and let you know he loves you. When the devil comes a lying to you and telling you that God doesn't love you, you ought to boldly look back in the boldness of the Holy Ghost and say, I know better because he who was high came down low so that I who was low could come up. Now, this tabernacle was God coming close. According to John chapter 1 and verse 14, Jesus tabernacled among us. It was God coming close. So, how do we get the roots of all this? Well, I want to be sure that you understand what I'm saying to you tonight that the tabernacle couldn't just be built any old way. In the book of Exodus, God told Moses how to build it. In Exodus 25 and 9, he said, According to all that I show you, after. The pattern of the tabernacle, that's how I want you to make it. But wait, I'm building a tabernacle. So how am I going to build a tabernacle after the pattern of what I'm building? Because the pattern of the tabernacle was not the one he was building. The tabernacle that he was building was to be built after the pattern of the tabernacle that was in heaven. It was to be built after the tabernacle of what God had already established. Now, I know you think when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, it was the first time that we ever saw in earth as it was in heaven. But that's not true. He established that in the garden, that he wanted to be in the garden as it was in heaven. And when Moses built that tabernacle, he said, the reason why I'm so particular about this is because I wanted to be in earth as it is in heaven if I'm going to come close to you and I'm going to dwell among you, the only way to make that happen is when you establish on the earth what I have established in heaven. Woo. God told Moses in 25 and 40, he said, I want you to build it the way I say. I want you to follow I want you to follow what I'm telling you. I want you to be sure that you have heard my voice. He said, I want you to make it, to make everything after the pattern that was shown to you in the mount. Now the Bible in the New Testament speaks of that in our text that we took tonight in 8 and 5. Moses, the Lord spoke to him and he said, I want you to do it after the pattern of everything that I showed you in the mountain what was the pattern that God showed him in the mountain what was the architectural plan the tabernacle was to be built just like the temple of God that was in heaven and yes the Bible does say that there's a temple in heaven in Revelation 11 and 19 Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. It said that the temple of God was opened. Somebody help me now. This means the doors of the temple were opened. Isaiah saw them, but he, he saw the doors, right? And he saw the angel, the seraphim, six wings, two covered their face, two that covered the feet, two that did fly. He saw it. John sees it. He said, man, this is crazy. He said, I saw it opened up. I saw the temple in heaven, and he said there was seen in the temple the ark of his testament. This is the temple of God that's in heaven. There is a temple, and inside of it, there is the ark of the covenant, the ark of the testament. The tabernacle that was built on earth was built as a copy to the tabernacle that was in heaven. I want you to get this in your spirit. In Revelation 15 and 5, well, that, 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 that temple in heaven is going to be really different. No, listen. In 15 and 5, it said, and the temple was filled with the presence of God. That his presence, the smoke of his presence filled the temple in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you ever wonder if when we get there, there's going to be an absence of his presence. There may be times down here where you feel like he's a million miles away. Now, you don't have to wonder that because he's really always close. But the feeling that you have down here, like we're removed from it and like he's miles away, when we get there, you'll never have to wonder where he is. When you walked into that holy place, all you had was that candlelight. But I want to tell you, in that city... It's a city where the lamb is the light. It's a city where there cometh no night. I have a mansion over there and it's free from toil and care. I am going where the lamb is the light. God's presence dwells in the temple in heaven. Just as it dwelled in the tabernacle on earth. And if, if we had time, I'd go into all this. I don't believe that the Ark of the Covenant that John saw was the Ark of the Covenant that was in the tabernacle. I believe it's the Ark of the Covenant that John or that, that Moses built the Ark of the Covenant after. Does that make sense? I believe it's the, the Ark that he saw. Everybody doing okay? Everybody looks like deer in headlights. I believe that Moses saw the same Ark of the Covenant that John saw. Some people are wondering about the old Ark of the Covenant as to whether or not we're ever going to see it again. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think we will. There are some Jewish rabbis that believe it's, it, it, it may be beat up to pieces and hidden somewhere in the Temple Mount. I could tell you some other historians that uh, they're sure, absolutely sure, they know where it is. There's one man who believes he found it before his, his passing and he, he held on to that until his dying breath. He also discovered uh, what they believe to be Noah's Ark on Mount Ararat, Ararat, however you want to say it, in Turkey. They believe that they found it. Uh, but I'm going to tell you why it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the mercy seat that's in heaven. Is the one where his blood was sprinkled on. When he rose up and got up out of that grave. Mary said oh oh, there you are. He he said don't touch me. He said I haven't yet ascended to my father. What was he talking about? Once the priest had been cleansed. he, He could not be touched again. Until after he had put blood on the mercy seat. Jesus said, I am right now perfected. Don't you touch me yet because I'm ascending into heaven. What was he talking about? I believe that he took, matter of fact, Hebrews said, by his own blood. He ascended and I believe that he walked through those gates upstairs and I believe that he walked through that outer court, inner court, walked in behind the Holy of Holies in the heaven and he took his own blood and he put it on the mercy seat. You know what? When the accuser of the brethren is judged, I believe he's going to have to look at that mercy seat and everything he's accused me of has been covered by that blood. we gotta, we got to strike a balance here because you can't walk around scared to death all the time like, ooh, I, I made a mistake, I looked in the wrong direction, I s- said the wrong thing, I slipped, I'm going to hell. You know, that's how, that's how the enemy keeps you in cycles of backsliding. Because you become your own worst enemy. That Since I'm never going to get it right, I'm not going to try. I'm going to tell you, I want to be very careful how I present this. But I want to make this very clear. That the mercy seat is a mercy seat. Why does that matter? Because there's not going to be a single person in heaven that deserved to be there. If it was according to what they had done. So everything, everything that we see. In the tabernacle on earth was in the heavens. The Lord showed that to Moses as the pattern. Everybody with me? I keep saying that because I want to be sure that it's clear. Everything that was in that tabernacle, God showed him that in the earth. But when John gets to Patmos, we know several men that saw into the heavens. Isaiah saw Moses saw, uh, Daniel saw, and we know that John saw. But John is the only recorded vision. Now, other than Paul saying that he went in his, in. The, he said, whether in the flesh or out of the flesh, I don't know, but I went to the third heaven. He said, I saw things that I can't even tell you about. So we know that Paul saw something, but he didn't tell us about it. But John records the vision that he sees. Because the Lord told him, he said, what I show you, I want you to write it down and I want you to tell the church. Somebody say, that's me. me. He said, I want you to write it down and I want you to show the church. And so, in searching through the book of Revelation. Man, I'm so excited right now, I don't know if I can finish. But in searching the book of Revelation. When you get into Revelation, the first chapter, you see the seven-branch candlestick. It's there. You can see it. And the Lord said, this represents the seven churches, and he walks through the whole deal. You can see it. It's there. Everybody know what I'm talking about? And this is in the very first chapter. So the Lord opens up Revelation with tabernacle language. And he said, John, I'm going to show you some things in the heavens. And he said, I want you to notice very closely, John, this golden candlestick. And the Lord keeps on dealing with him. And he takes him over into Revelation, the 8th chapter. And he said, John, this is, this is the golden altar. Now, the, the brazen altar was made of brass. It was not made of gold. So the Lord made this very clear. He said, this is the altar where the prayers of the saints are offered. This is The altar of incense, so to speak. He said, I want you to know, Revelation 8. He said, John, this golden altar is here. And when you get over into Revelation, the 11th chapter, where I just read to you a moment ago. John said, when the doors of the temple opened up, I saw the ark of the testimony. But you keep on reading through 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. John Kid's looking in the vision, but he never sees anything beside the candlestick, the golden altar, and that beautiful ark of the covenant. And I got to walking back through that tabernacle this afternoon, sitting at home, and I thought this is odd because we can work, we can work ourselves backwards out of here. And and, and and I'm seeing chapter eleven. I see it there. I see it very very clearly. We got it there. We've we've got the ark of the covenant. I see that. But I'm, I'm really struggling because there's some articles of furniture that are missing. John's looking around heaven, sees the temple of, of God in heaven, and God shows him all this furniture that's up there, but there's some stuff that's just not there. If you take note, you're going to find out there was no brazen altar when John saw in heaven. Now, it had to be there in the Old Testament. For Moses to know it belonged in the tabernacle. But something happened when he ascended on high. John, when he looked in the temple of glory, he didn't see no brazen altar because there's nothing else that's ever going to have to die there. He said the sacrifice that has been paid is sufficient once and for all. It was the lamb. It was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And he took away the sin of the world he said john look around again and you're not going to see no lever because there's nothing there that'll ever have to be cleansed if you made it here you made it because you were already clean you made it because you were already worthy i've come to tell you tonight when we get there there will be no more death there will be no more crying there will be no more pain there will be no more sickness He paid the price. I'm here to preach to you tonight that every day of my life right now, I've got to die every day. But when I get there, I will never die again. I've got to repent every day. But when I get there, I'll never repent again. You know why? Because I'll know I finally made it. One of these old days, I'm going to pray the prayer for the last time. Wash me, Lord. Cleanse me, Lord. Make me whole before you, Lord. Keep me faithful before you, God. Because when I get there, I'm going to know I don't ever have to pray. You know what I'm going to say for the rest of eternity? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know what? Right now, I have to pray prayers that angels have never had to pray. I've had to pray things that angels have never had to utter. But when I get there, I'm going to tell the angels, You've been singing it long enough. It's my turn. And John said, I saw so many millions of people that when they opened up their mouth, it sounded like a waterfall. We're going to tell him how good he is and how holy he is. He. Several years ago, me and my family, I'm done. several years ago, me and my family took a ride up north. We had to go see some family up north, and we stopped and spent the night in Niagara Falls. I'd never been there and haven't been back since. It was a beautiful place, and I'd go back tomorrow. I just haven't. i got so many other places to go. I haven't been back. But I remember what overwhelmed me. It was beautiful to see. But when I stepped down, walked down the the terraces, and I got down to the bottom part, Bishop, all I could hear was, (laughs) and John said, he said, there's going to be so many of them. That when they open up their mouth to give him praise. I know I talk about this a lot. But I'm tired of the devil beating our brains out over the people that have quit serving the Lord. John said there was enough of us there that it's going to sound like a waterfall. I'm telling you, somebody in this room is going to make it. And somebody's going to be there to give him praise. And somebody's going to be there to dance in your glorified body. And somebody's going to be there to shout on streets of gold. I've come to tell you it's going to be worth it all when we get there. It's going to be worth it all. I'm closing. Can I have two minutes to just tell you something so awesome about heaven? When he looked up there, he said. He said, I looked up there. And it's like his feet were standing on sapphire, Bishop. So He said, sapphire. Yet Moses said, that when Jesus was standing on sapphire. When the presence of God was on the mountain, it said that, the, that his feet were standing on sapphire on Mount Sinai. And then later on, one of the prophets said that it was like he was sitting on a sapphire throne. Right? And then he looks into the heavens and he says that the sky was as sapphire. Now, we see three different ways the throne's represented red flame of fire, blue sapphire, and white throne of judgment. What does that mean? He's got three different thrones? No, it means he's got one throne, and whatever he's doing determines the color of the throne. Well, this is so crazy. I've never heard this in my life. This week, for the first time I ever heard this, there was a Jewish woman holding a sapphire in her hand, and she said, we believe in ancient Jewish tradition that the Ten Commandments were written on sapphire. And I was like, it was written in stone. Like, what? And so I saw this this man had interviewed a guy, and I'm going to tell you the short story, had interviewed this guy that worked for NASA. And he said, hey, the the man happened to be connected to Jewish tradition somehow. I'm I'm in fast-forward mode. And he asked the guy, he said, hey, he said, is it true that the ark of the covenant or that the uh, the 10 commandments was written on sapphire? He said no, it's not so much that it was written on sapphire. He said we believe that as it was being written that the stone turned to sapphire. He said, "Do you understand what sapphire is?" He said, "I don't guess I do, fill me in." And he said, "Well, you know, he said I have a contract with NASA." He said, "Okay." He said, "You know what my contract is with NASA?" He said, "I have developed these lasers and he said my contract with NASA is to make artificial sapphire that covers the wings of the shuttles to keep them from burning up when they come in. He said, you want me to tell you how I make sapphire? He said, aluminum oxide that's in stone, whenever it comes in contact with hot enough heat, it will turn that stone into sapphire. Wow. The fire finger of God came down and touched that stone and started writing and he made it beautiful. When they looked up and saw him sitting on the throne you know what you know what he looked like when he was sitting on that sapphire throne? It said it was fire from the waist down and fire from the waist up and the throne became a sapphire. What are you saying pastor? I'm saying everything he touches turns beautiful when he touches it. I've never in my life wanted to be more ready than I want to be right now. Pastor, my life is a wreck. Then let him touch you. My life is a mess. Then let him burn it out of you. Let him get you ready because we're headed to that city. I believe he can take that heart of stone and let his word burn it out of us and turn it into something precious. I don't care how much of your life you've spent and I don't care how many resources you've ran out of. He can make something beautiful out of your life and you too can be in that city where the tabernacle of God is. Woo! I wish somebody in here tonight would bless him. Would you do that? I want to be ready. Because when I walk into that tabernacle where his presence is in heaven, I'm going to walk right on past where that old altar used to be. And I'm going to go right on past where that lever used to be. And I'm going to walk in there to his presence. woo! And everything that was broken is going to be healed. And everything that's wounded is going to be fixed. God have mercy. And everything that was sick is going to be right. And everything that was crooked is going to be made straight. I want to go. I want to go. I said I want to go is there anybody here that's hungry for it tonight hallelujah let's lift the praise to the lord in this place can we do it